Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We have been working through the book of Galatians, and we're actually up to the last uh, sermon, last talk from Galatians today. Um, my apologies for the email. I gave you the wrong scripture on there on Sunday. Jared very quickly caught me out on that. Thanks, Jared, for reminding me. But it is verses 11 to 18, uh, not verses 6 to 10, which we did that last week. But uh, today's the last one, and uh, I'm looking forward today. Really, it's a, it's a great uh, way, uh, the great way, the way Paul actually summarises and finishes off here on this on this chapter. Uh, again, just help to set the scene. What would you think if I was driving into a new town or you were driving into a new town and you went past buildings and on the top of these buildings there was an electric chair up on a pole sort of on the top of the building? Or you went past another building a little bit further down the street and you saw a hangman's scaffold set up over the front door of that building? Or you're in this town and you receive some advertising in the mail from a group and their symbol or their logo for this group was a guillotine for beheading people. Probably think that's a bit strange, wouldn't you? They're all instruments of death. They're all instruments of torture. They're not the normal thing we'd associate with like good vibes or sort of a welcoming atmosphere or environment. But Paul, as he wraps up this letter here to the Galatians, is going to boast in the instrument of death used for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Really a defining statement for the Christian church is the cross. But it's an instrument of death. It's an instrument of torture. So Paul's going to lead us here and say he's going to boast in nothing else but the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So go with me to verse 11 here of chapter 6. And we're going to read these closing verses here of Paul's. Verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Lord, thank you that we can uh, come to the last part of the book of Galatians. God, thank you today for this letter that Paul has written. And Lord, as Paul circles back here to the main thrust of this letter, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, may you awaken our hearts again with courage and boldness and confidence to preach the cross, to share the cross, to proclaim the cross. Ask for your help now, Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we do, we conclude this letter today that Paul has uh, written to the Galatians. Really it was a letter to correct um, the error and the false teaching that had come into the church via false teachers coming in and uh, just sharing their own version of events, but really it was their own coming out of their own imagination. Uh, just a really quick one paragraph summary of what Paul has done through the book of Galatians. Paul has written about initially in the first couple of chapters his authenticity as an apostle appointed by Jesus Christ to be an apostle to bring his word to people. Uh, then in the middle part uh, Paul spoke about the truth of the gospel in justification by faith alone. You can go back to our sermons on YouTube. He spent two chapters there unpacking all of this uh, for them and for us as well. And then Paul's finished with the last couple of chapters here, six chapters in Galatians, uh, with Christ-honouring living that flows from this gospel transformation. So it's the authenticity of Paul the Apostle, the truth of the gospel in justification by faith alone, and then what that means on how we live. And that's where we're sort of wrapping up a little bit now as Paul circles back. Now, in an unusual way in comparison to the other letters that Paul's written, because he's written a number of letters here through the New Testament, in an unusual way, it's like he grabs hold of the pen out of the scribe who's writing Paul's words as he dictates them to him, and Paul says, I want to write some final parting words myself. And in verse 11, you'll see there, he makes this special note of what he's doing. It's as though he's saying, this is really important what I'm going to write now. See which big, bold letters I write this in. Now, you've all received a, um, a letter in the mail sometimes, and you see all the text and the type there, but you'll see some bold print. It's like your eyes just sort of go straight down to that bold print, isn't it? Please pay this bill tomorrow. Well, sometimes it can be like that. But your eyes go to the bold print. But here's Paul saying, this is important. Listen, I'm actually writing this in bold so you can see this. What Paul is doing is he's circling back to the main issue of why he wrote this letter to the Galatians in the first place. False teachers had come into the church telling them that to be saved or to be made right with God, you had to believe who Jesus was, you had to accept him, Jesus, but you needed to add something to that acceptance of who Jesus was. You needed to obey the law of Moses without fail and you needed to be circumcised. You saw that word again there in those final verses. If you didn't do those extra things as well as accepting Jesus, obeying the law of Moses and circumcision. If you didn't do those extra things, they're getting it out there, I'm sure, at the moment. <laughs> then you wouldn't make it to God. You need to do that, Jesus plus. Now, Paul is passionate about Jesus and the gospel, and anybody who says that, it's, that Jesus through the cross isn't enough, that you need to do extra salvation, extra for salvation... Paul's going to challenge that view with a passion. He's not going to do it quietly. With a passion, he'll challenge that view. So here's where we're going to go this morning as Paul's coming back one more time to circle around this and challenge that view. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is central. It is central to the Christian life. For It's here that we see the glory of God in our salvation from multiple angles, multiple perspectives as we take in the cross to see what God has done there for us. Uh, in that particular work with Jesus. Think about the cross. Think about the message of the cross. It's never been a popular message. It's never been a popular message. It's not a feel-good, sort of trendy message about yourself when you think about the message of the cross. 
Have a look in verse 12, where actually Paul's giving us a bit of a hint there with that, with these false teachers. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're trying to avoid the message of the cross. There's something they don't like, there's something they feel ashamed about or embarrassed about it. And unfortunately, that is the case. Some people and even some churches today want to avoid the message of the cross. They don't like the idea here of this sort of gruesome message, but it's a true message. And many in Paul's day were embarrassed by the cross of Christ. Why is that? Well, the cross reflects shame. The cross reflects humiliation. The cross reflects despisement. What is the cross? The cross is an instrument of torture to slowly kill someone in the most painful way possible. Who was the cross for? In Paul's day, they knew exactly who the cross was for. It was for the worst people of society. People considered to be scum in the terms of the, uh, back then. That was who the cross was for. So the cross would look ridiculous and quite strange here to hold out as a symbol that we want to remember and even gather around. It's just it's this ridiculous think, looking thing. It's a symbol of torture. It's a symbol of death. And as I said in the opening here, if you saw a building proudly displaying an electric chair or a hangman scaffold or a guillotine out the front for cutting people's head off and they're welcoming you inside to their building, in the natural, what would you think? I'm not sure what's going Do the police know what's going on in that building? That's what the cross symbolises when you think about uh, what it's saying there. For Paul's day, that's what it would be like. Embarrassing. Shameful that you would worship a person as your king who's actually come from scum who dies on a cross. It just doesn't compute, doesn't work. And the people in the church of Galatia were ashamed of this message of the cross. False teachers particularly, and they avoided being persecuted. They, they wanted to step around this message. Maybe, maybe... This persecution could have been, well, what will people think of us if that's who we're going to worship? Someone who's associated here with this instrument of death and torture and only the scum of the earth actually die there. Or or maybe the persecution also for them could have been, if I believe that, that this is the Messiah, that he's actually come through this pathway, I'll be cut off from the Jewish community because they're not ever going to accept that message. So they're going to avoid this message. We just don't think that's going to fit the bill here for our current culture and community. These people, particularly the false teachers and even some today as well, they want a nicer message, a softer message, one that fits our culture and our community to help people feel better about themselves, not this message of the cross. We want something a bit softer and a bit nicer that's actually more appealing, more attractive. And in fact, for that particular day, these false teachers were actually boasting about the numbers that they were getting with their softer message, with their nicer message. Have a look in verse 13. Paul's saying, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they're pushing their soft message now, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Look at how many people were getting to the doors to our church, so to speak. Boasting in the numbers of converts to get into their nice, soft message of feel-good, but not the message of the cross. 
it must be working because I've got lots of people coming to the church. It must be right. That's the pragmatic approach. doesn't mean it's the true way, but if the numbers do it, well, it must be right. And they're boasting in this. Paul, the apostle, will not have any of this, as it were, man-centred gospel about what man can achieve, which really is no gospel at all. He rejects that outright. And now he lands with this controlling mindset that is like the, the banner over Paul's life in verse 4. Have a look what he says there. He's talking about them boasting in the flesh of their converse. But Paul says in verse 14, But far be it from me to boast except... I'm not going to boast about anything except this. And what's this? In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is what drives Paul. This is what puts Paul right through the Roman world of that particular day, traversing country after country, sharing the message of Jesus Christ. He understands the cross. He understands what's been achieved. This is what gets Paul out of bed every day. This is what takes Paul through any and every situation and every circumstance of his life. The cross of Christ changes everything for Paul doesn't tinker around the edges. It changes everything for Paul. So what I want us to do here is just spend a few moments thinking about the cross, thinking about this message here that Paul has been communicating. And when I say look at the cross, I'm not saying look at this sort of wooden beam, this cross beam. It's not the wooden structure that we're thinking about here. Our focus is on the person of Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross. Okay, the biggest problem that humans have, each and every one of us, without exception, is that we have ignored and rejected a good God, a God who's created us, a God who gives us life and breath every day. We say it often here, we live life according to our own agenda. What's good for me is what I'll do. And really, I don't care too much about anybody else. That's the natural disposition of every single human being in varying degrees, but it's all about me. And the world we see around about us in reeling at all sorts of trouble from many angles, from many corners, uh, whether it's in relationships, breakdown there, uh, whether it's in sickness, and there's plenty of sickness and death around us, catastrophic weather events, plenty of those happening as well. All of that, all of that is the result of our rejection of who God is in our lives. It all stems from that, that God's judgment and curse upon the earth because of our rejection of who he is. But as we see the cross, we see this. God steps in to the mess we've made. God steps into the mess we've made in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man as well. And at the cross, he takes his judgment, God's judgment, upon himself for our sin. That's what's taken place at the cross. But here's some things that we see. What does this say about God when we think about what has taken place there in that sort of quick snapshot of the cross? We see this about God. He so loves us that he sends himself to take away the just penalty of sin. That's what we see when we see the cross. We see God loves us. He sends himself. He doesn't send someone else. He sends himself in the person of his son. 
So we see his love there. We also see this at the cross. God is holy, pure, without sin, perfect in every way. He doesn't sweep our sins, as it were, under the carpet and then give us a little pat on the back and say, oh, you'll do better next time. Now, God doesn't do that with our brokenness and our sinfulness, not at all. In his justice, in his right justice, he pours out all of his divine anger on Jesus, his son, in our place. What does that show us about God? Perfectly just, but also the justifier. He makes us just by what he has done for us. We see that about God at the cross. We also see this at the cross. God is filled with grace. Amazing grace. Grace beyond our comprehension. We don't deserve it, what Jesus has done. We haven't earned it. Not one single person is worthy enough to receive it. What does God do? In unmerited favour or in grace, he grants it, he gives it. And we receive it by faith. That's grace. That's an amazing aspect we see at the cross. Now that's only just a a small number of things we can see about God at the cross. But those sort of things should grow large in our mind and grow a big vision of who God is. But we also see, the cross also says something about us at the same time. We are sinful, broken people in trouble with our creator who's given us everything, life and breath. And we've rebelled against his creator. We can see that at the cross because something had to be done about our sin. The cross humbles us. We can see that also at the cross. Our pride tells us we're not that bad. I'm not really that bad, Lord. We just need to fix ourselves up a little bit. If I just had a little bit more time and training in my life and I could probably reform myself, I think I could be good enough. The cross humbles our pride because, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't make ourselves right. I'm more broken and flawed than I could ever possibly believe. We don't know how deceptive our own hearts are. We don't know how deep this brokenness and sinfulness has actually gone into the very core of who we are, and it's affected every part of our being, which doesn't mean we're not capable of doing good things. Sure we are, but we're also capable of doing some incredibly evil things as well. The cross humbles me. Jesus brings salvation to me, which I could never achieve at my own. I see that when I see the message of the cross. Paul's laboured over this with the Galatians in these earlier chapters here about that through justification by faith alone. Here's another thing we see about the cross. The cross brings power. The message of the cross brings power into our lives. Power to conquer sin. Power to overcome the powerful addictions in this world that actually bind us up in brokenness. Look what Paul says here in verses 14 to 15. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 
Paul's got some interesting words there. Paul talks about there, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then at the end of verse 15, a new creation is what counts. Here's what the cross tells me. That all my sin put upon Jesus, past, present and future, everything I've committed in the past, the sin I'm committing today and the sin that I'll commit in the future, not by intent but just by the brokenness that keeps erupting out of my life, has been dealt with by Jesus once and for all. Completed sacrifice. I'm now filled with God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I'm a new person in Christ. And from this foundation, which is built at the cross, because that stems from the work of Jesus at the cross, from this foundation, I'm now having the, uh, I've now got the power to get victory over sinful temptation in my life. Because of the finished work of Jesus. It, it gives me a platform to, as it were, launch from and a fresh power in my life that I'm no longer chained to these addictions that keep holding me down. Now, I may fall from time to time into some of those things, not from willful intent that I want to jump in, but just in the weakness of a moment I might fall. But in the goodness and the grace of God, he keeps me so I don't fall away completely. He picks me up again and gives me the power to overcome one more time. Now, Paul uses this word crucified here, and there's a real sense of the power that God gives to us in that sense. Crucified here, uh, he says, this world is crucified to me. Paul's thinking like this. The things of this world, its ideals, its attitudes, its self-centred thinking, its goals, its so-called good life, what you need to do to achieve success in this world. All of these things, Paul says, now that I know Jesus and have experienced the power of the cross, I'm no longer conforming to those things, those ideals, those attitudes, those goals, the way the world paints success to us. I'm not, I'm not actually drawn to those things. I've got a whole new viewpoint how I can see this world now. I know the true nature of this world. They may appeal to my fleshly side of my nature, but they're not actually going to appeal to my spiritual growth. Paul says, I'm crucified to those things. In other words, those things will be dead to me. That doesn't mean they won't still tempt him, but I'm not going to actually respond to those things. The cross has given Paul this power here now to see this world in its true sense and no longer fall for the world in that particular way. Why? Because through the cross, Paul says, I'm renewed in Christ. I have a new identity in him. He then enables me to live in this renewed power to conquer uh, sin and Satan. And we don't live it out of self-effort alone. Like, try a little harder, work a little longer, and then you can pull yourself up in life. We don't do it like that. We do try harder and we do work harder, But we do this knowing that we're already saved and forgiven and that we have the spirit of Jesus living inside of us to give us this new power and then out of an act of worship for what he's done for me at the cross, then I'm empowered to overcome this world as an act of worship, not trying to gain something or earn something, but out of an act of worship and thankfulness for what the Lord has done for me. See, Paul sees this. Paul knows this personally in his own life and he's experienced it time and time again as he's overcome the challenge of this world. All, all 
from understanding the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. So Paul says, I will boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Third thing, the third thing the cross brings us here is peace and mercy for all those who live in it and obey it. Look in verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What does he mean there by who walk by this rule? What's, what, what do you mean there, Paul? Well, that word rule means standard, as in like a straight line. It's actually the same word we get for the word of canon or canon of scripture. You may not have heard of that before, but if you've done some Bible college, when we talk about the the canon of scripture, we're talking about the straight line of the recognised books of the Bible. We're talking about the standard of the gospel here. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, if you walk in the standard of the gospel, according to this rule, which centres around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory at Calvary, what will you experience? God's mercy and God's peace. You walk according to that rule, centering your life around what's been achieved at the cross, you'll know God's mercy and God's peace. We're now at peace with God because of what Jesus has done for the cross and he showers into our life every day peace as we keep trusting in the Lord. That peace is not a peace you'll get from this world. It's the peace from God that surpasses understanding. What does that mean? That means in the most craziest of circumstances in our life, when things are a total mess and totally out of control, I've still got peace. Even if it's a cancer diagnosis and I'm given months to live, which seems like the worst thing you could get, I've got peace. My soul is safe and secure in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. For those who walk according to this rule, peace and mercy are upon them. That is what we receive at the cross. Paul knows his life must be centred in a cross-shaped way. That's why he's circling back to it again. And really, that's that's the life of every true believer. We must be cross-shaped or cross-focused if we are to overcome this world. Because there's multiple things that will challenge us. Do I ever doubt God's love? I don't feel your love today, God. Well, what do I do when that happens? Well, I've got to look to the most vivid display of God's love that I could ever possibly see. And where do I see that? I see it at the cross. We've got to have this cross-focused life. I look at the cross and I see God dying for me in Jesus and his love is poured out for me there. That grows my love for him. Do I ever doubt God's grace? Well, I've got to have a cross-focused life. And if I look to the cross, I see his grace in 4K high definition. Millions of pixels, as it were, displaying God's grace to me right there and then at the cross. Where do I get the strength here to live in holiness? To live this life that God wants me to live and the life I want to live. Where do I get the strength for that? Well, I look to the cross. I see the finished work that Jesus has done for me there. I'm not trying to achieve this for salvation. I'm, I'm doing this now from the salvation he's given to me. I look to the cross. We've got to have this cross-focused life, seeing these things 
through the cross. Do I ever doubt God's justice? God, it just doesn't seem to be happening. People are getting away with stuff. Well, I look to the cross again and I say, no, every single sin for those who trust and believe in Jesus, their sin has been dealt with by God's justice there. Now, for those who don't trust in Christ, they will meet God's justice sometime in the future. You see, the false teachers of Galatia didn't, hadn't, seen the, hadn't truly seen the cross. They hadn't seen what God had done there. They hadn't actually seen the wonders and the glory of Calvary that Jesus had achieved with us. And they wanted to tell a different story, a softer story, an easier to listen to story, where a story where man's achievements play a greater part here in their salvation. But what I can do to add to this, that's the story they wanted to tell. They wanted to water down the message. They wanted to fill seats in their building. Who knows? They hadn't truly seen the cross for what's been achieved there. We must be a church. We must be a people who are never ashamed of the message of the cross. Why? It is simply God's way of salvation and it is God's way of getting glory through this world that he's created, through the message of the cross. Friend, never, never be ashamed or doubt the message of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Liberal or so-called churches who are walking away from this message. Sadly, some of our mainline churches are walking away from the message of the cross, of the crucified Saviour. They're walking away from it. Satan may even throw doubts into your mind. This really can't be true, that I'm believing in some guy who died on his wooden cross 2,000 years ago. It sounds so silly and so foolish. It just sounds like one of those stories In theological terms, we call the message of the cross penal substitutionary atonement. Now, a really big word or big phrase. Not here to dazzle you with that, but again, that that picks up exactly what's taking place with the cross. Let me explain what that means. Sin's penalty, penal penalty, is taken by Jesus as he substitutes, substitutionary, himself in our place. God's penalty taken by Jesus. It's like he, Jesus comes and taps us out and he steps in. Penal substitutionary atonement. In taking our place, Jesus makes atonement for our sins, satisfying God's holiness and justice through bearing God's wrath in our place. Penal substitutionary atonement, the work of the cross. We must never be ashamed of that. We must understand exactly what that is. So don't be surprised, though, when Christians and so-called churches, in quotation marks, abandon this message. Throw it out. Water it down. Soften it. It makes me both sad and angry. Sad that they would just lose confidence in this message. Angry that they would try and rob God of his glory through that message. Because that's what will happen when they do that. Must never be ashamed of that. Let's listen to what God the Holy Spirit inspired Paul also to write about this message of the cross. And let's remember these are God's words written to us. Romans chapter 1, 16, 17 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. You could just stop right there, couldn't you? 
Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because others were ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God of salvation. I'm not ashamed of it. Listen again, as he talks about this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Very beautiful picture here of, of the way the world sees this. For the word of the cross is folly. It's foolish to those who are perishing. For those who don't believe it, for those who are walking away from God, it sounds foolish. It sounds silly. Some dead man on a cross 2,000 years ago, what are you talking about? But to those who are being saved, what is it? It is the power of God. What's he saying in verse 19? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, who is the one who is wise? Paul asks, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where is the one who argues against God in this age? Where is the one who wants to shout everything down and just live for themselves? Where is this? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. And he has. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, there is no intellectual pathway you've got to build to get to God. You don't have to have some sort of university degree to sort of work out this secret wisdom to get to God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, what did it do? It pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of what we preach, because that's how other people see it. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks see wisdom. We want to see some sort of powerful sign. The Jews were saying, and the, and the Greeks, no, we want to see some wisdom. We want to see some of really intellectual way of working this out. But what does Paul say in verse 23? But, but, what do we preach? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It's foolish to the Gentiles. Anybody who's a non-Jew is a Gentile. It's, it's just a foolish message. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, what is it again? It's Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the Lord who's inspired that for us? Doesn't that truth get inside your heart and just say, I need that? That just builds me up? That just clarifies things for me? That's what God's word does. That's what the message of the cross does. As a church, as people, we need to preach it. We need to proclaim it. We need to believe it. Carefully, thoughtfully, 
thoroughly, lovingly, humbly and truthfully. Never ashamed of the message of the cross, boasting in nothing else but the message of the cross, knowing that this is the truth of God that he wants known, that this this is the truth that God uses to save people. This is why we gather every week here at Exchange and we speak from the Bible, because that's where we hear the message of the cross. This is why you and I need to gather regularly, because when we go out in this world, we don't hear the message of the cross. But we come in here and we hear that and we build each other up. We need to gather regularly to hear that message. So what do we say with Paul today? I will boast in nothing else except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and uh, gather around your word again. And we see Paul circling back to the Galatians here. Lord, really, uh, as it were not moving away from the very centre of who you are and what you've done for us in rescuing us, saving us and also transforming us. Lord, we pray today, please, help us never to be embarrassed about the message of the cross. Help us to know, Lord, that it's through the foolishness of what we believe in the sense of what the world might say about us that the power of God is revealed. Help us, Lord, to do this carefully, thoughtfully, truthfully, lovingly, humbly, but to hold the message of the cross front and centre for the God who stepped into the world that we've messed up, the world that we have corrupted, the world that we have broken, that you would step in and take our place, bear our penalty of sin so that we could now be reunited to you. Let that message just resolutely grow in our hearts and grow in our minds today. Lord, maybe some that have heard this a lot of times before and it hasn't clicked. Pray, Holy Spirit, today that you would open those up, open up those blind eyes and deaf ears to hear the message of Jesus Christ at the cross. Father, we thank you for that and we worship you in that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.